Hello and welcome to Talking Dad UK, a podcast where we discuss all things dad. Follow and support the podcast on social media at Talking Dad UK One. All links will be in the show notes and descriptions. Hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Hello everybody, we are offering a quick trigger warning for this episode as we do talk about sexual assault and violence in relation to the Woodstock 99 Festival, which is covered in the documentary. Hope everybody's okay and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Talking Dad UK and I'm joined by Rob from the Records and Bands podcast and today we're discussing Woodstock 99, the festival, the music and the controversy. Hello Rob, how are you doing? I'm good. It's kind of like talking dads, talking records and bands, going back in time 20 odd years to when I was 20 and young and skinny and girls found me interesting. Some of that is a lie. It's a it's a crossover episode. Yeah. Between Talking Dad UK podcast and Records and Bands podcast. That's right. You can so you can find Records and Bands at recordsandbands.com. That's the easiest way to find us. You'll have all the links there to find the show as usual. Brilliant. There. Talking Dad UK one on social media and Talking Dad UK you can find it on all platforms podcast wise. As you say, you you were uh, a young man at the time of <laughs> the uh, the festival itself in 99 I was a little bit younger I was more of a kid so my recollection will be slightly different to yours but that is one of the reasons why I thought it'd be good to for me to have a chat with you about I was, it so one of my first questions for you was like a was what made you want to do a show about a festival I don't know how old you are you've probably been about five when this happened I reckon looking at you uh would have been about nine right ten okay i was 20 um so yeah so a why did you want to do a podcast about a 20 this 20 year old festival that you won't remember and b yeah. why did you ask me to do it is 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 it because you value my input as a mus- musical pundit or am i the only person you know who was aware of it going on at the time and also owns a microphone so first of all i watched the documentary um woodstock 99 documentary a good few weeks ago so that's the music box one that was on hbo in america and was on sky documentaries over here isn't it yeah that that's the one um really interesting documentary i have seen the woodstock 69 one although it was a long time ago and there's a there's a massive there's glamour around Woodstock 69, isn't there? And and I know about it. I have heard of it. I've seen the documentary. I've listened to some of the bands and the music. And it's, it is glamorised a little bit. Whereas this one, for all the wrong reasons, it's it hit headlines and, and it went wrong. And I know there was one in between. Yeah, the one in 94 that generally gets sort of glossed over. And I think they all had their issues. And that one might have been the one that went the most smoothly. I think yeah. in 69, because of the documentary that was met with, or the film that came with it, I think there's a lot of rose-tinted spectacles about it. Yeah. And there's obviously different reports on what happened and things that went wrong and things that the organisers deny happening. I mean, in the first one, there was a thing about like the main electricity cable got exposed at some point because all the because it got wet and it was underground and then the main electric cable was exposed and the insulation on it had so many feet going across it it worn away the insulation and i yeah. think like the chief electrical engineer had used the phrase mass electrocution yeah with the but wet the organi- yeah but the organizers deny anything of the sort all right okay i didn't know that they denied it but um i've i've heard that yeah yeah so it was like um they were gonna have to cut the power to switch to power, or people could okay. get killed. Like, and they yeah. basically said, "No, you keep the power going and try and do a workaround, and then switch the dodgy cable off." But they deny okay. it. Like the organizer will deny that ever happened. But the the guy who done the electric work, he's like, "Yeah, I could have killed like thousands and thousands of people." And and reading through it and doing my research into it, as I've been doing over the past couple of weeks, there are a lot of similarities between sixty nine and ninety nine. And it was a lot more publicised in 99 because of MTV basically following the whole weekend. 
and because of what happened in the end as well. Yeah, and it's a different culture, isn't it? It's a completely different time. Like If you think 69, how long have people had televisions in their home? Maybe 10 years? Yeah. 15 years, maybe? So yeah. You know, so... And you get to 99, and it's like the birth of the internet, and MTV is everywhere. Yeah. And it's it's like the start of that always on culture i suppose yeah around that time that's that's what i remember as 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 sort of watching mtv and, and being young around that time but the 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 sort of similarities come from the poor organization really uh, and and the poor planning from the first one right the way through and i know 94 was slightly different and that was mudstock wasn't it because it did nothing but rain and they were the green day mud fight wasn't it yeah yeah and um but even going back to 69, there was issues around keeping people out. The fences came down. They couldn't keep people out. They, um, there was riots. There was fires. They, they were complaining about the price of food and drink. Which I is think in the first one as well, there was only like um, 12 food stalls or something. That, yeah. they, like for the number of people there, there was like nowhere anyone could buy food. And, and there was a local, there was a local gang that, that apparently set fire to a couple of food stalls oh, because right. they were they 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 basically tried to extort the organizers and they weren't going along with it so they just set fire to the food stalls so that's where the fires came from and and they were you know kicking off as well but back then it would have been a lot less publicized wouldn't it nobody had a camera nobody had a camcorder that they could have caught it might MTV weren't there and um so you fast forward to 99 and it's a hot weekend in July. Yeah, on an on an air force base made out of concrete with massive fences around it. In New York, three hundred and fifty odd thousand people. Was that the number? Was it three hundred and fifty thousand? That's that's a, a number I found. They were expecting up to four hundred thousand, but because the walls came down at certain points, I'm not sure if it's completely right, accurate. But three hundred and fifty is what I found. Yeah, one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. Yes. Right. I'm just gonna. I, I, I'm conscious that we're going to end up. Ju- we could end up jumping around here, so I'm going to try very carefully to stick to my notes and that. But just on that, one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket in yeah. ninety nine isn't far away from what we would be paying for a weekend ticket to say Reading Festival. So I actually yeah. had a look earlier on today, today, and the last Reading Festival I went to for like the whole weekend was in ninety nine. Yeah, and I think I paid ninety pounds. Okay, which it, I that can't be far away from one hundred and fifty dollars back then with the exchange rate back then. Probably not. I mean, the last time I went would have been two thousand and nine. So, so that, and that was one hundred and sixty. So yeah, so pounds. Could you imagine paying ninety pounds for a festival for a weekend now, though? Now, no. Uh, that, we'll that... get onto this later. I'm sure. Like well, I'll, we actually I'll... spoke about it on uh, episode. Of yours before, didn't we? We spoke about overpriced festivals and that. Yeah, your previous episode, we That's did right. touch on it on my podcast, yeah. Um, so, your memories at the time and your thoughts on the lineup and how it compares to other music festivals you went to at that time. Is... So, like like I said, so I was 1920 in 1999, um, November 1999, is when I flew off to Australia. That's when I, you know, went off on my travels. Is well, I went, I went away, as we like to say on records and bands. Yeah. Um, but that year, I did actually go to. I, I managed to hit three festivals that year. Although two of those were like one day jobs, if you like. So I was having a look at the lineups, and I actually saw quite a lot of the bands that year that were playing at Woodstock '99. Okay. But in terms of the festival, I remember it as the biscuit riots. Yeah. And like, if anyone would say to me, "Do you remember Woodstock '99?" I'd say, "Isn't that when Limp Biscuit and Fred Durst caused all the riots?" And obviously, we'll come to this in a bit. But like, the timelines have shifted. But I think that's the effects of like the reporting put the two together. And I'm not. I'm not entirely absolving the biscuit of any blame or any wrongdoing here, but nor am I going to lay it all on them. I do remember the biscuit being massive. Okay. I also remember them being shit. 
They were like one of those bands I just couldn't stick them. Right. Now, in my notes, comparing to your notes as I've written them, yeah, you've got a bit more that you can add to it because you were older and yeah. you've got a bit more sense about you. Right. I was a young kid, as we've already said, but probably about 10. And at the time, I wouldn't have even known the festival was happening. Mm-hmm. And I would have been more aware of some of the music and some of the bands, Limp Biscuit being one of them, and the new metal music genre that I thought followed sort of 98, 99 mm-hmm. into the early 2000s when I was hearing all that music, basically. As we've been chatting and I've been doing a bit of research, I think the um, new metal genre was a little bit older than that and it was mid-90s, maybe it started with Korn. Like was it 96, 97, Korn started coming in and there was bands like Coal Chamber and I would even put Marilyn Manson in a, a little okay, bit. Yeah. Certainly like that... Um, I can't remember the name of the album because it's a Beautiful People album, Marilyn Manson. What was that? Um, Antichrist Superstar. And then there was another record that came a bit later, which was Mechanical Animals. But like, yeah, so um, there were some bands that I that I kind of lumped into new metal. And there were, I suppose Deftones were in there. And Korn, obviously, they were like the forerunners. Um, I sent you a CD or an album to listen to the other day by a band called Shelter. No, Shelter, yeah. were, they started off, they were like a little hardcore band. And they they ended up being Krishna core. So they basically, oh, wow. they were basically Hare Krishnas and they were singing about vegetarianism and stuff like that. But okay. on that, that album I sent you Shelter by Shelter uh, called Mantra, there's about yep. five tracks on there which could easily have ended up on a Limp Biscuit record, I felt. I don't know what you thought about that. I did have a little listen to it earlier on. To be honest, I asked Alexa to play Shelter and some 80s funk band came on and I thought, surely this isn't right. <laughs> so I had to find it on my phone, basically, and then I nipped up to the shop earlier today and I was listening to it then and I thought, there's a bit of Limp Biscuit in here and there's a bit of maybe Corn musically as well. That was about as far as I got, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, so so for me, and again, I'm going to be throwing some of these bands that we're going to talk about under the bus here. So Shelter were the Biscuit, but without the homophobia. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Without all that yeah, boorishness, yeah, yeah. without the, the misogyny and the homophobia. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, that's just one example. So for me, there's there definitely a line between like all the grunge stuff that I was into... And then, obviously, that progresses. Kurt passes in 94. You get a second wave of grungy stuff. So, like, Bush, Stone Temple Pilots to a point. And then about 95, 96, it starts to shift a bit. And you get... It's a little bit harder. It brings in elements of rap, I suppose. But not the good bits. Yeah. Um, the easy it, bits. It brings in the misogyny and the homophobia and the just the general bullshit. That yeah, um, and it kind of but and it brings in aggression for the sake of aggression. That's that's one thing that I've been looking through over the past week or so, and that is pretty much what I've noted down by each sort of band and each sort of moment in time that we're going to come on to discuss mm-hmm. in a little bit it is aggression for aggression's sake i mean it's not particularly saying anything powerful it's not particularly fighting anything it's it's just angry music isn't it and there are different ways that you can do angry music and, and maybe the way corn went about it earlier on i didn't mind i was more into that but the limp biscuit stuff just seems to be completely over the top and and, and out there for for whatever reason, listening back to it now, it's... I listened to signif- signif- Significant Other this week, and Jesus, it's tough. It's, it's a, a tough, a tough listen. Like, but like I say, like that Shelter record, I've had it on like four or five times, and it's brilliant. And okay. I, I don't think it's that far away. But, yeah. Um, so, for me, and this is going to be a first of many hot takes, if you look at the grunge stuff... um. Kurt's music is angry and it's ing- aggressive in places 
but that anger and aggression is kind of inward looking. Yeah. It's like the world isn't, and it's not just Kurt Cobain, it's, it's Eddie Vedder, it's Lane Staley, it, all around that genre of music is very inward. It's, well, to hit the nail on the head, Kurt Cobain writes, I hate myself and want to die. Whereas the new metal stuff is, it, it, it's like the grunge stuff. It's like the world, the world's a bit messed up. What can I do to change myself to be here in in a better place, or you know, to make it a better place to be more comfortable there? Do I need to change myself? Whereas you get to the new metal stuff, and it's like, what does everyone else need to do for me to be better? Like, yeah, it, it puts the like is so is it's the difference between I hate myself and want to die and break stuff. Just like yeah. the way the aggression is being directed, I suppose. And that is, a, you know, that's very paintbrush, broad brush stroke to try and make a point badly. Yeah, I did like Limp Biscuit, especially. I lived with a bloke for a while and he absolutely loved them. And I just, I, boring is the wrong word, but boorish. Yeah, yeah. So, and like Kid Rock, you can keep him. <laughs> I listened to a bit of Kid Rock as I've been researching. Right. right? And, um, it's it's again it's it's in with Limp Biscuit, isn't it? It's a bit of nothing. I mean, at least he can play his instruments though a bit. Um, but yeah, it's much the same. And I found some lineups, and I'm sure we'll get into this again later on. But I found some lineups of some of the festivals I went to around the time, or you know, okay. within months. So I went to the Big Day A in um, at Milton Keynes. So. The Big Day Day A was a, a one-day festival in Milton Keynes at, at, the, at the National Bowl. And it was it's probably as heavy as I get. Okay. So it had been on the cusp of, like, probably wouldn't have gone if it was any heavier. Um, and I did go to a gig a couple of years later. I went to a thing called Tattoo the Planet, and it was like Pantera and Slayer and Cradle of the Filth, and it was a little bit much for, for me. Okay. But so just the highlights of the big day eight. So this was actually on the 10th of July. So this is, what, two weeks before Woodstock, 99. You've got uh, Metallica, Marilyn Manson, Placebo, Ben Harper, Creed, and then on the second stage, Terrorvision, Monster Magnet, Pitch Shifter, Queen of the Stone Age, Merciful Fate and Ministry also played. There were one like a oh, and Sepultura also played. That's an old thing. So it's like quite heavy stuff, quite heavy aggressive stuff. But there was none of that new metal stuff on the bill, right? And then a little bit later on, I went. I would have gone to V, and V was always a little bit more indie, I suppose. But like I saw the Manics there. Um, yeah, so that one doesn't really count to be honest. But the other one was Reading in '99. Let me just find this, and it just and the we'll get back to it later on because I have another hot take. Reading Festival '1999, Chili Peppers, Offspring, Television, Silver Chair Feeder, Pitch Shifter, Sick of It All. So, like, I, I some of the, you know some of the big bands that we're going to talk about tonight we're on there as well. We're all yeah. on there as well. I'll just touch on the music scene in the charts, not the music scene, the charts um, in the run-up to that festival, uh, and then we can jump into day one if you want. Yeah, yeah, cool. So the charts in 99, in the lead-up to July, um, the number ones were Cher, TLC, Jennifer Lopez, Ricky Martin, and Will Smith, I think, was actually number one. Which Will Smith song? Wild Wild West. Wicked, wicked, wild, wild west. Yeah, wicked. I think that was number one in July. Cool. Not so much. I believe. Yeah, that's what I found in my uh, in my research. Hopefully, I wasn't looking at the wrong chart. I don't know if I think they had no, that many no, charts, no. but it, it does sound about right. Because like, so go on. It's just it, it, it's. I know being the festival, it was. They might not have been able to get that kind of act and that kind of act probably wouldn't play that kind of festival but then mtv was there and they were pushing that kind of stuff a lot more in the mainstream of pop around that time so it it could have happened for whatever reason it wasn't they decided to go down the route of we'll get all the new metal acts on well Um, to be fair limp biscuit and and we're not we are going to talk about other bands i promise limp biscuit were fucking massive 
I think at the time of that festival, Limp Biscuit were probably the biggest band in America. Yeah, that big. And I was thinking they they were a bit bigger a bit later, like 2001. But no, because that, 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 that when Roland came out, yeah, yeah, and like oh, that album as well, that was terrible. But no, because um, you sent me through saying about um, signif- significant other being their first album, and I said, I think I emailed you back and said no, because there was three dollar bill y'all two years previous, which came out in like '97, and that right, had, yeah. that had faith on it, and then the other big one off that was Counterfeit, right. um, which I had heard off a CD off the front of Kerrang or something. And yeah. I didn't mind counterfeit. That was all right. And like the the cover of Faith was was quite fun, you yeah. know. In a holy holy shit, they're doing George Michael, and then I don't know. It just very quickly wore wore thin. Um, but there was also rumors abound that they got the massive, they got massive quickly because they were paying to have that or the interscope the record they were paying the radio to play them right so every time nookie or break stuff was played it was essentially a commercial it was an advert like proper payola that's a that's a rumor an alleged rumor that i have heard (laughs) what on on very on, on more than one source while doing research for this so that's one thing the other thing is that they benefited massively from MTV, despite MTV playing um, all the pop stuff that we don't like. They're playing the Shares and the Ricky Martins and the Britney Spears, and I don't know why I said Share there. That's a, that's out of sync, you know. Um, so you had um, TRL, didn't you? Total Request Live, yeah. and I think people were ringing up or re- putting in requests for stuff like Limp Biscuit and Corn just to mess with them. Yeah. So it's like, oh, here's one from the Backstreet Boys, and now we've got Jonathan Davis doing Freak on a Leash or whatever, you know? So I think there was a bit of that. And because it was always on MTV, like everyone knew him. Everyone knew that red cap. One of the problems I feel that happened with this festival is the lineup is very aggressive and very male. It's also all over the place. We will get into this with the Metallica, but... There's like it's like all or nothing on one stage, yeah, There's, yeah. But um, so in terms of the maleness of it, mm-hmm. you've got one female artist on the on the west. Is it the west stage? Um, one female artist each day. So you've got Cheryl Crow, Alanis, and Jewel. Yeah. Now I sat down earlier and I just thought, right, 1999, whatever. Um, not female acts, but you know, bands with, you know, a good a dominant female presence and that sort of thing in them were there that I can just reel off the top of my head that would still be in keeping with the okay. overall feel of the festival, the hard rock feel, the, you know, the, the metal feel, if you like. Yeah. Um, and this took me about three minutes to come up with. Like, and and I'm, I'm not talking about replacing other people on the band. I'm on about sprinkling them throughout. So I'm not saying... Hole instead of Metallica, I'm mm-hmm. saying as well as so. Yeah, Courtney Love and Hole, PJ Harvey, L7, the Cranberries who played in 1994. So there's a little nod back there for that. Yeah, Sonic Youth, one of the, like the greatest bands of all time with Kim Gordon, um, Slater Kinney who were at the top of that sort of um, Riot Girl movement. They were still still going there. No doubt had the biggest one of the biggest records of '97 or '98. Garbage headline read in the year before. And the big one for me was if Skunk and Nancy can headline Glastonbury that same year, there's there's got to be a place for them on a stage somewhere at Woodstock. Yeah. I then had to think about a few kind of softer but still in keeping bands just to sort of like take the edge off or to cause a bit of a split in the crowd. Because like when I see, I've seen bands. Oh, I've been to festivals before, and it's like, do I go and watch Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, which would be excellent, or do I go and watch Bad Religion? So there's always something to pull the crowd where it all seemed to be like it's Metallica or Los Lobos. Yeah, it was all a bit weird. So, but like even if they just managed to get someone like Smashing Pumpkins or Pearl Jam or REM or even bloody Matchbox Twenty or someone, 
and I, another one, I, I said even Marion and Manson would, would have brought an element of circus to the lineup. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I think like they, they probably thought they would do with Insane Clown Posse, which kind of backfired on them. But, you know, just something just to break the monotony of aggression and grr and ah. Yeah, but the, I mean, they had bands like, well, they had James Brown on. He opened it, I think, didn't he? And then it they was... had Jamiroquai on. But it was, they, they were all sort of early. Yeah. And then the other bands are all clumped together late. Like, if you want to watch Metallica, but you're not fussed about Rage Against the Machine, and there's nothing else going on at the festival that you want that anyone wants to watch, you've got to you've got to be down the front for Limp Bizkit, Metallica, uh, Rage, and Metallica. Yeah. To see Metallica, I've done yeah. it. Like to see, to have a good spot for Pearl Jam, I've sat through um, Placebo, My Chemical Romance, Biffy Clyro. You know, you know these, are, and that's just like a few bands that I haven't liked in order to see the band I do like. Yeah. Whereas most festivals, you can go off and watch something else, and then, you know, but there didn't seem to be a lot going on outside of that main. On the Saturday, it's like how many people are going to watch Metallica that also want to watch the Chemical Brothers? Yeah, like who, who like how many metalheads are going to be? doing pills and dancing their asses off to the yeah. Chemical Brothers site. Everyone who's at that festival is going to watch Metallica, aren't they? So you end up with a massive crowd. So day one of Woodstock 99 is July the 23rd. That's the Friday. Now, it op- the show opens with James Brown. Apparently, there's a bit of a kerfuffle about, yep. oh, the agents are ringing the um, organisers and they're going like, oh, he's not going to go on unless you pay him like 50% more. And there's a big rag on and they, you know, it's just like, well, if he doesn't go on, we haven't got a show. And then he, he eventually goes on. But even at the last minute, they're still haggling with, with him over prices. Which which reminisces back to 69. Um, oh, right. How's that? Is it similar then, was it? There's a lot of, there was a lot of that that went on with different bands of different acts. And, and the way of leveraging the organisers at the time was to turn up as if you were going to play. And then whether it was the bands themselves or it was the, the management behind them, said, actually, we want a bit more money before we go on, otherwise we just go home. And whether the bands ever saw that or it stayed with management, I don't know, but there was a lot of underhand stuff that went on around right. that time, so I've read. So, anyway, day one. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's cool. Um, I think like the overall vibe as you enter the, this festival site is like hot concrete loads of people no organization and loads of boobs it's it's excited kids turning up to one of the biggest festivals they've ever been to welcomed by as you say a bit of chaos and a bit of everybody they're getting frisked on the way in and they're getting food and drink taken off them but not the but drugs they, but they can keep the drugs if, if you they, sip them a 20 Especially if you're slipping with any. Um I think some alcohol did got it get in. I don't mm-hmm. know how that was, but but come on to so like what, side yeah of yeah. I did bit, see but... a bit where they said that that basically turn a blind eye to all the drugs and stuff as long as long as people aren't hurting each other. Yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, that yeah yeah, and um, but it just like looks like that sort of nineties kind of spring break, kids out having fun. Everyone's wandering around, enjoying it, trying to figure out where things are. It's all nice and fun, and like you say, there are tits everywhere. Um, women are walking around naked, as are, as are the men, because it's so hot, or, or you know, partially naked. And it doesn't take long for the 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 famous chant from all the crowd, um, "Show your tits" to start. Raising his ugly head yeah. on all of the MTV film uh, footage and and all the other sort of private footage and stuff you can f- not private but stuff you can find on YouTube of people that recorded it themselves as they were walking around, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's just tits everywhere and, Which and and people shouting it. Is kind of the Woodstock brand. Yes, but um, right. So I've got a. Uh, so here we go. I, I've I've got a report here from Spin Magazine. And I sent it to you, and it does get rough yeah, in places. It does. Um, and I'm pretty, as we're talking about Friday, there is one 
uh, description of sexual violence, which I feel we need to cover. Yeah. But it is rough. So when we get to it, I'll mention it again. So if anyone wants to switch off for that, switch off for that. But I don't feel comfortable not giving a warning. And I also don't feel comfortable in not talking about it. I feel that the documentary kind of... It mentioned it, but it didn't... It it kind of glossed over it a little bit. It does gloss over a bit. It mentions it, and then it goes into slightly more detail later on. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't go into full details. Yeah. It doesn't give you numbers or anything like that. And a lot of accounts after, after the yeah. fact do. So, so this, is, this is a little bit. This isn't the worst bit, but the, um, this bit in, in, the magazine, in Spin magazine says, By 1pm, hundreds of people began to strip down in the oppressive heat. Public displays of affection quickly gave way to public displays of copulation. Quote, nudity was all over the place and so was public fornication. But you really got used to it. Now, we'll get into stuff about the, the mosh pits later on, but it seems to me that stuff was start, started off slow and no one said, oi, quit it out. So if it's like, if I can get away with that, what else can I get away with? We've all been, we've been to festivals and listeners might have been to festivals and it, we know it's like a place where as soon as people get through that security gate it is a bit of let your inhibitions go that kind of mm-hmm. thing i mean the first festival i went to was leeds i was 18 and the moment i walked through the security gate and got over the little hill there was a guy full-on naked with his mate who had a dog lead tied around the end of his cock and he was walking him around by it yeah and that was my first impression of a music festival right. as an 18 year old so, but it sets the tone of, oh, right, it's that kind of place. It's a little bit like lose your inhibitions, let anything goes type of thing. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't anything to the extent of what we're going to cover in a little bit. No. And so... I, th- I, th- I think like watching the documentary and that's what you see from the beginning as it as it's all kids having fun. But it, it it very quickly turns and it doesn't seem like there was the opportunity taken to try and stop it. Um, I have thoughts about it, to be honest. Okay. So basically, on the, the the first day, there's an awful lot of nudity. There's lots of um breasts on show. There's chance of show us your tits, show us your tits. There's people blocking girls' paths and they won't let them through until they get their boobs out. There's um other stuff going on as well. There is rampant. Let's call it what it is. There's rampant sexual assault going on in the mosh pits. There's girls with their tops off because it's hot and blokes around them going, I'm going to grab a feel of that. Just just grabbing it as you walk past. There's a lot yeah. of that you can see and in the I'd like, To be honest, like, what does anyone get from that? I don't know. Like, I don't know. But there's, there's a... <laughs> and it mentions it. I think it mentions it in the documentary. But it's that... The, the the talk about MTV and girls gone wild, mm. and they talk about it feels like they are playing up for the cameras of MTV yeah. and the whole girl girls gone wild scene, and that's of what you're supposed to do. Yes, but there's there's no way near enough security to try and police it, and it doesn't seem like they're policing it enough themselves, and the majority of the crowd seem to be twenty year old blokes. Yes, I will say if a if a woman wants to get her boobs out on camera on MTV and that's what she wants to do, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. A stranger then comes on and grabs those boobs. That's sexual assault. That's, that's, that's the, the, yeah. The, the, the line that yeah. it's was crossed. crossed. And it like, and it's so, done throughout the whole weekend, yeah. the whole documentary, but it's never stopped. I know, there are small snippets of the um, MTV crews or um, producers or something saying it was all around us all the mm-hmm. weekend and it was just kept happening and there's like nothing we could do about it and we could kind of see it was going to go so the one first, way. The but... first time that we kind of, in the documentary, we hear, actually it's probably the only time we hear someone actually on stage trying to, having seen it and stopped it, is Dexter Holland from The Offspring. And yeah. he makes an announcement that they stop the show and he says, look, 
there seems to be lots of women coming over here that are getting assaulted. You need to fucking stop it. It's yeah. not fucking right. And that's the only time any artist says, like, this is fucked up. Like, So fair play to Dexter Holland. Yeah, that's that's all we see. Yeah. And but then you know there are there is footage of all the bands that are played anyway, mm. and you don't see any of that in Reddit with any of them anyway. So it probably is correct that, yeah. that, that nobody else did it. Um, and and to to mention about numbers again in terms of the audience that attended of like three hundred and fifty thousand, there was only ten thousand security staff, and that quickly dwindled after day one yeah. as well. I think a lot of people were going, I'll I'll, I'll um, get a job as security, and that's a free ticket. Yeah. You know. And they were, and they were, by all accounts, they were poorly trained. Mm-hmm. They, they were. It's, it touches. It talks about it in a the documentary. They were, they were put through an exam, and they were basically told the answers and passed, so that they could be part of it and be security because they had to fill their numbers. And as soon as they got there, they were taking the passes off and turning the shirts inside out and and just joining the crowd. Just. Dropping back to where you were saying about like going to Leeds, it's your first festival, and you walk in the door and um, walk in the door, walking through the gate, and you see there's a guy naked, and there's probably someone I don't know juggling fire over there, and then some, there's something going tits in the mosh pit. Um, one because we're men, we see it different to um, to women. That, yeah. that that's that's it. You know, that's it. That what we find intimidating or empowering or normal or oh that's quite funny is is seen completely different by well by anyone really but you know a woman's point of view is different um but there's always kind of festivals i've been at there's always been kind of an unwritten rule that you kind of look after each other whether you're not just the people you go with but if someone goes down in a mosh pit you're going to get them up yeah. If you if you see someone being a dick, you're gonna say, "Oh, you stop being a dick." And there's yeah. kind of like that contract, which you know between like this is a, a little bit mental. We're not used to this. We've got a free reign to do what we like. So let's just make sure we get through it together. Yeah, and get out okay. <laughs> and I feel that certainly as we go on through this weekend, that contract gets broken yeah. if it was even there in the first place. It disappears quick. Yeah. Um, is is that a, a you have you ever been to festivals overseas? And have you is that something that's within our sort of British culture in terms of festivals? So I've been so the near so I've been to festivals in Australia or a festival in Australia, and it was just like a piss up and a barbecue in a field. It was it wasn't a big one. I think Powderfinger played. I think Silverchair played and. But obviously, they're, they're massive bands in Australia because, you know, one's from Brisbane, one's from uh, just up the road, from one's from Newcastle. And, you know, it's like home gigs, if you like. Um, and it, but it's just really chilled. The closest... I, we went to Reading for the day in 2006 because Pearl Jam were playing and I made my wife watch Slayer, which she... Um, she enjoyed them, but she said, like, they made her teeth hurt. Um <laughs> And then Placebo came on, and I, I kind of like Placebo's first two albums. I thought, oh, we'll, we'll watch them, we'll have a good spot for Pearl Jam. And then they had sound issues. And then while they went off to sort out the sound issues, the camera was going, like it started off on one topless girl on a bloke's shoulders, and everyone went, hooray, there's some boobs. And then the camera went, to another girl who was on someone's shoulders but had a top on and the crowd was like not so much show your tits but and shouting until she showed them yeah. and then it went to a third girl and she wasn't and like 20,000 people fucking booing her for not getting her boobs out because she didn't want to yeah you know and but that that day it was a bit it felt a bit weird granted I hadn't been to a I hadn't been to Reading for a few years but there was just it felt like there was a bit of an edge about the place. Nothing compared to what we're talking about here, but it was just like it felt a bit off. Yeah. And so I I found some last night I found some footage that um it was cut Woodstock ninety nine, the lost tapes or, or something on YouTube. And and it's basically a guy's camcorder and he recorded the majority of the weekend. But he watched the majority of the acts 
and it it chops about a bit. So I think on the, on the very first walk up to when they're coming in, you've got all these cars parked in sort of four lines width-wise and the full length of a runway, mm-hmm. a, a massive amount of, of cars, and all these people being herded in towards the gates and, and coming into the festival. And then it cuts then to the other days, but they watch the majority of, of um, the, the the main acts, it looks like, from like the vendors' storage wagons mm-hmm. from on top of that, which is at the very back of the crowd, really. But when when you then it's grainy, grainy footage, but you you look down and there's like a a sea of people that are all stood watching the act that you expect to see at a festival, and then in front of that another sea of people where it's just absolute chaos and arms and legs flying mm. everywhere, and it looks like one huge mosh pit. So yeah. I think like the sensible people that were trying to watch the music and get out alive were either stood back in that first bit of people or they were even further back like right yeah. in the back i think we can um get on to this when we come to talking about like who was you know that like the crowds were so big because i don't feel that the acts were split up properly across the stages yeah like we were saying earlier so like all the big acts that everyone wanted to see were all on the one stage and like the slightly lesser acts i suppose were on the other stage and there was like a mile and a half walk between stages so like people weren't losing their spot, um, yeah. and it's part of, like you say about the um, the mosh pits being tits, and we'll get onto this with Limp Biscuit um, and their set. Um, no, I've been in mosh pits. I fucking love a mosh pit. Excuse, I'm sorry. I'm I, if you haven't listened to records and bands before, you'll know I swear quite a bit. I love a mosh pit, and there was a time that me and a friend of mine, Dave, we like took pride in how we carried ourselves in the mosh pit. Um, but moshing is just to me it's it's losing control and you go in where the music takes you you start off getting a bit of a bounce on and then you might kind of bounce into someone who then pushes you away and then you'll bounce into someone else and you might get caught by an elbow on your way through but there's no intentionality around it yeah and we did notice around I suppose, because we started going to gigs properly when we were sort of like 16, 17. By the time we got to like 20, 21, 22, there seemed to be a little bit coming in of punches being thrown in mosh pits and um, a deliberate act of trying to put one on someone almost. And that's what these mosh pits in the videos look like to me is we can get away with having a fucking tear up here. Yeah. And that isn't part of this contract that i speak about at a festival you know it's like that's, yeah yeah that's what i've that's what i've seen and and being slightly older and going to gigs in my teens when i was you know we're talking in the noughties now late noughties then um that's what the mosh pit turned into mm. it was just a fight and people went there almost like they do go to football games in this country preparing for the actual fight rather than the gig itself right. and watching so, the music and listening? Um, I think I've always, again, talking about like how we benefit. Like I, I, I've always been a good-sized bloke. I'm six foot three. Like, I haven't been less than 14 and a half stone since I was about 12 probably. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a good-sized lad. And there's been times in a mosh pit where I've actually grabbed hold of people and gone what the fuck are you doing? Sort your shit out. This isn't right. You're hurting people. There's been times I've come out of mosh pits and I've got a black eye and there's blood coming out of my nose and there's, but nothing's been intentional. And I've, yeah. I've felt safe the whole time and I've, but I've had a good eye in. Yeah. And then like, I've seen massive bears of men grab hold of idiot kids who are hurting people and just literally bear hug them and carry them out of the pit and say, calm down. Like you ruin it for, for people. And there's none of that going on here it was escalating and escalating and escalating all all the all the people that were down there doing it seemed to all be doing it there yeah was no... and it was very much angry white boys listening to angry white boy music wasn't it yeah and and it... i think any any of the older ones any of the more mature people 
were probably stood that a little bit yeah. further back. But also, right, there's uh, like, I have this this theory that, and I've, I think we'll get to it later on in more detail, but the type of kids that were going there, like, like they, were, they were doing that sort of stuff, They've all got mates. They're probably all in, in the American football team or all on the basketball team. They're probably the jocks at the college or, you know, certainly the bros. And yeah. whereas, like, the bands that were playing would have been, not so much not so much the bands that play in there, but, like, certainly the bands that I were into were always, like, the insular kids at school. So you've got, like, and I think that was part of, like, Kurt Cobain's issue with his music was that, he played music um, or he got into music because he was introverted and outside of like the school community, if you like, or growing up, he, he wasn't a jock. He wasn't a film nerd or whatever. And he was, you know, attacked for not conforming. And now all these jock idiots are dancing to my music. No. That was, you know, and I think I'd say the same about the Manic Street Preachers. Like the Manics were kind of, this antithesis of rugby culture in Wales, and yet they, in the turn of the century, they play at the Millennium Stadium, you know, the home of Welsh rugby, to eighty thousand rugby fans. Basically, it's like, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And I just wonder. We'll come on to it later on, but I've, I think it's just this. I don't really know what I'm saying. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know just, what I'm getting at? Like, is. It's a type of it's a type of entitlement that only comes with that sort of person. Yeah, and it. Or am I reading too much into it? I don't know. I don't. <clears throat> I can't quite put my finger on where it all starts in the timeline. Yeah. Whether these people, because they've paid hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket, it's took them God knows how long to get there. They've been frisked and they weren't happy that somebody took their beers away. And then they walk onto the tarmac and it's hot and everybody's a bit hot and sticky, but you're still in the first day, so you're still enjoying it and getting on with it. And then that all just escalates and escalates because then, as we're going to cover, you talk about the water issue, Mm -hmm. how much things cost, how pricey things are, how big the site is that you've got to get across and you're missing. If you want to go use the water fountain, you're going to miss a band because you've got to get there and back and you've got to get through the crowd and you're going to lose people. Mobile phones weren't... Yeah, no mobile phones. ...that that popular at that time. That There'd be the, the odd few. And um, it was a struggle to meet up with people and stay with people. Yeah, because like when we were... just got angry people. Yeah. Um, I think we, like, whenever we were at festivals, it was always like, we'll be to the left of that stage tower and that's, yeah. you know, and that's where we'll meet up. Like That's um, on one of them videos I've been watching... Uh, the guy who's got the camera, he was talking to somebody and he said he bumped into somebody that he knew. He met him somewhere else years ago and he was like, oh, what, what a surprise, I can meet you here and with all these people. Mm. And he said, are you, are you going in? Who are you going to watch? And, and then he, I think he said he was going to see a certain band. And he says, oh, we'll, we'll be on the, the, the sound tower to the left. And he's like, oh, right, I'll come and find you later. And I'm just like, no, there's no way he's going to find him. No. No. <laughs> um, so... Offspring called out some of the um, groping and the inappropriate touching that was going on. And yep. then after them, Corn played. And from what I've seen, that guy put absolutely fucking everything into that set. Yeah. So as much as Corn weren't for me, that looked like a performance and a half credit. I don't want it all to be horribleness like that looked like an absolutely intense performance of the highest order so he says he says in the documentary about the the performance and their set he says that he, he came out and and did the played the first song and from there on he can't remember the mm. rest of the gig because he was just kind of living on the vibes of of we're playing a massive gig here and if you watch the live um footage you can see the crowd go absolutely crazy when corn come out and they kick into that first song so and there's a, it's just huge isn't it the yeah. amount of people like it's unbelievable like it looks scary i actually went to bed after watching the documentary and seeing all those people and because I, I was considering getting tickets to go and see pearl jam at hyde park 
this no. this summer and i was like oh i don't know and then i watched that i was like i do not want to be in a crowd anything close to that it's huge it's it's like the sea and uh, again i think the limp biscuit crowd the following day was even bigger but it's like it's just that moves so that moves and then that moves and then that's going on over there and it was just like unbelievable but um yeah so on this um spin article they're saying, for all the shit-slinging, drug-taking, VJ-abusing and spontaneous garbage hurling, the real action didn't get underway until Korn strode on stage at nine and the centre-stage mosh pit raged with a concentrated ferocity. Now, we've talked about, um, briefly, the violence, and it is violence in these mosh pits. It isn't moshing as I understand it. It is dudes having a tear-up. Okay? Um, so, the uh, little... Uh, someone who was watching from uh, his post at a vending machine table saw uh, a vend- vending machine, a vending tent next to the stage saw five boys emerge from the mosh pit with blood-soaked t-shirts. The crowd was hectic, but it wasn't too bad at all. Um, however, chaos erupts in the backstage medical tent. They, and this is another quote: "When corn came on, people were coming in every three minutes on stretchers. Wow! The medics had prepped for the expected." Um, it, it prepped for the expected bruises, lacerations, and broken bones, but every single person in in their tent was ODing. A lot weren't conscious. One girl freaked out and broke the cot she was on. Uh, seven EMTs tried to hold her down. She broke the restraints. They ended up having to duct tape her to a backboard. She tried to bite the EMTs. Wow. So there was some, and there was a report of like please try and stop people taking the liquid ecstasy much like in 69 it was don't take the brain acid yeah so there's some something mental was just severely going on and we'll i think we'll get into it later on with um, metallica as well i think there were a lot of what they thought was ODing was just hyperthermia so yeah. rather than being too cold people getting too hot and i think that displays similar symptoms to an overdose by by day two and three it's a culmination of every, all of that, isn't it? Yeah. Hypothermia, dehydration, taking substances, drinking alcohol, and it's all culminating in yeah. what happens. Yeah. But um, so uh, sort of rounding off on day one. Can I can this so this bit? I just want to get oh, yeah, into yeah. this this because I feel so. This is the rough bit. Okay. This this is really really rough, but I feel it's not fair to it's not fair to the victim to skirt over it i think Absolutely. you know um so th- and again this is from the spin the article from spin and i will will leave a link to it if you want to read it um uh, so dave schneider was volunteering at the wood at woodstock's crisis intervention unit watching corn from the edge of the main pit it was about nine thirty. schneider saw a crowd surfing woman get swallowed up by a pit uh, by the pit. When she re-emerged, two men had clamped her arms to her sides. She was giving a struggle. Her clothes were physically and forcibly removed, yet no one seemed to react. Schneider said that the woman and one of the men fell to the ground for about 20 seconds, and then she was passed to his friend, who raped her standing from behind. The gentleman's pants were down. Why the fuck he's calling him a gentleman? I don't fucking know. Um, her pants were down. You could see there was clear sexual activity. Finally, the woman was pulled from the pit by some audience members who handed her to security. That should not be fucking happening at a concert. That shouldn't be fucking happening. But it's, no. But but but, but what's she mean, gonna? Well, she can't do anything about it at all. And nothing make it doesn't make sense. Full stop. But no. why did the other concert goers think it was a good good idea to pick her out and give her to security after the fact? Yeah. Why didn't they step in it's during break, it while it was happening? It's that it was breakdown there. of the contract, isn't it? It's a, well, yes. I, I don't know. Is is it fear of the pack man mentality? Is it the fear that you'll be next? Is it like I but don't the know? Fact that, the fact that I mean, if you're at a, a festival or a gig anywhere, in fucking a crowd, look after each other, like that's happening next to you. You don't look and think, well, that's a normal thing to see at a gig. It's just not, is it? But you wouldn't again. You wouldn't. But when it's a, you know, when the ratio is 10 bros to one woman. Yeah, I mean, you do. I suppose you have to factor that in for people's it's thinking. Fuck, I don't it's just know fucking... It's... I, like, I, like, I didn't feel it... It's horrible. I've And I don't I don't feel we can talk about it without talking about it. 
No, well, I think that's where I feel. Yeah, that's where I feel happened. the um, documentary kind of glossed over it. It was like, oh yeah, some some boobs got groped, and uh, yeah. and there was two rapes reported or four rapes reported. But who yeah, who who are they, who are they going to report detail. it to? Yeah, you know, the, I I've read and heard during research of like people saying that they they had heard uh, that they heard anecdotally of at least like twenty women who had been raped on site and yet only four were ever were reported Report and, and only one went to a conviction so yeah so like there's that breakdown i suppose in you know by you know how do you hold someone to account if that happens in a crowd of 300,000 people and that's it isn't it i mean that the the victim then goes out to the medical team by the time she's actually been able to process what's gone on and, and maybe talked about who it was and how it happened and where it was that person could have moved 3000 people over yeah. to another part of the crowd and you would never find them yeah. in that in that time even though you know 99 wasn't a million years ago but you wouldn't have found them would you it feels um, like it like it feels like it's almost like a social experiment it's like, what if we put all these people in one room or in one place and deny them basic human decency? How quickly do they descend into fucking animals? And on that evidence, doesn't take long. One day, half a day. <laughs> I didn't realise that that was on the first day or the, yeah, that, the so first that, night. So I think a lot of the time with this, with this festival, the reporting, like the... the timelines get shifted around like i said at the yeah. start like my if someone says to me what do you think of uh, woodstock 99 i say limp biscuit riots but there's a good 20 well, at least 24 hours between the two, those two events yeah yeah so now i know that um to to supplement when the bands and the acts had finished there was a 24-hour rave going yes on, which is obviously going to be drug fueled isn't mm-hmm. it by the rest of the day and what we've seen so far but during that there's a lot of reports of the the nudity mm-hmm. the public sexual displays people just getting off and doing whatever they wanted mm-hmm. in public while other people were around whether they but from what I read, it sounded like that was all consensual stuff. Yeah. But what happens further into the night... When you can't see just as well and... Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know from that point on. There's not yeah. so many reports that I've seen. So so these people that are already high, drinking, just fueled up by the whole crowd and what they've seen and what they're doing, and then they go into a rave and they take more stuff and they drink more, whatever mm-hmm. they can get a hold of. They don't sleep and then they go into day two and there's more of the same. Yeah, and, the heat, and, and the heat intensifies. I will just and quickly but, say, like, um, after Corn, Bush came on and right. I fucking love Bush. I didn't realise Bush were who they were. Yeah, Bush, Bush me... are massive. <laughs> like, like, they were one of like my earlier gigs. I think I think I saw him when I was like sixteen. And mate's dad drove us down to Newport to watch him. And like, yeah, they're I thought they were brilliant. But again, he comes out and he's and he sees all all, all the um, naked chests of women across across the thing. He goes, "Oh, look at this! This is wonderful!" Like, you know, if you if oh, I don't know how much you, can, you know, there's a big thing about the gap between the people and the you know the 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 performers and the crowd because yeah. because of all the fucking cameras. Yeah, but. At some point, I don't know. I just think more could have been done by the bands because, like Jonathan Davis from Corn, like on the so the documentary we watched is based on a podcast. Um, so I listened to the um called Break Stuff. So I listened to the podcast, and Jonathan Davis is on that as he is the documentary. But on the podcast, he says along the lines of, "Um, if I had seen shit like that going on, I would have stopped the gig." And stopped it happening. And he kind of says that, you know, at any of our gigs, if I see stuff like that going on, I would have stopped it and happened. But he didn't. Whereas, like, I've been at I've been at gigs where not sexual violence, but violence has occurred, and bands have stopped and gone. We're not playing again until you've sorted your shit out. Yeah. Like I'm, I think. Um, Eddie Vedder did it at the Isle of Wight Festival. 
there was just getting it was getting a bit much down the front and he was just like right stop mid song stop we just need to chill out calm down right everyone sorted everyone safe everyone all right right and let's go again and they're bang on the money straight back into it yeah so it can be done but like after the fact he was like oh yeah well if i've seen anything like that i would have stopped it but you didn't mate it's not it's not his fault that some cunt was raping a girl like his performance diving about and not looking at the crowd and in his own world and the whole sea of the crowd moving as well was he looking for it could he see it the distance between with the cameras, mm. with, uh, I have no idea at this stage. I now. suppose that's the issue with big gigs of that size, isn't it? But I've, yeah. I'm, I'm sure the performance have to be a part of that. Yeah. Contract of, well, let's get through this together. Yeah, yeah. After all well, of coming, that, we get into day two. We're coming into day two. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was part one. Part two is coming soon. And we will cover the remainder of the festival, days two and three, and some other thoughts from myself and Rob about the music industry and festivals since 99. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon.